0: 20 verses 1 through 10. Now I may have made mention of this passage, maybe even read the passage, but we're going to do an exposition of the passage because this is the culminating passage where we all get our information about that kingdom of God that is to come. That So much of the Old Testament prophecy uh, covers it. So much of the Old Testament, uh, there's a Bible put out by Jeffrey, King James Bible, but it's a prophecy Bible. I highly recommend you get it. It's by Jeffrey, the guy's last name, Jeffrey. Um, I think I gave, one to my, I gave one to Trent. I think that's the one I gave you, Trent, the Bible. It's a good prophecy Bible. He highlights all the prophecies of the entire Bible. And you can go through from Genesis all the way through and see all the different prophecies. Half of the biblical prophecy has been fulfilled, half of it. Exactly to the minute detail the way it was spoken, to the minute detail. And uh, the prophecies about Christ and him being crucified and him being raised up and dogs gathering around him and having his beard plucked out, all of those things. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me even? Uh, was in the book of Psalms thousand years before he spoke it. And all of those things were, were exactly fulfilled. It makes sense to me that if those things were exactly fulfilled, the 50% that has been fulfilled were, ex- were exactly fulfilled according to their natural, uh, normal language, why wouldn't the rest of it? Make sense to you? If the first half's been fulfilled according to normal, natural language, uh, no, symb- no symbolism, no, no allegorisms, no, no, no double meanings, no encryptions, no encryption, God did not write this book to hide it from the born-again believer. Now, it's hid from the, those who are not saved. Those without the Holy Spirit take this and make up their Jehovah Witnesses. Those without the Holy Spirit take this book and they make up the Mormons. Those without the Holy Spirit take this book and make up some other uh, John uh, David Koresh cult, or they make up a Jim Jones cult. But those with the Holy Spirit have the key to open this book. And to get what God has. But if you don't know the Holy Spirit, who is the author of this book, and are not born from above and have Him dwelling within you, you'll never come up with an interpretation that is correct. Let's read that passage. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, and he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be finished. And after that he must be loosed for a season. And I saw thrones that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. The word the exact this is the only place in the Bible. If, it have, if, if this would not have been revealed, we would not know the length of the kingdom of God that is to come under Christ. But six times, you've just heard it, the Bible says it'll be a thousand years. There's no place in the Bible that would give us any indication that these are not real, normal years. And, he, and when the thousand years expired, it's saying to be loosed. He shall, he shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle, number of whom is as sort of sand of the sea. And they went up at the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. God will be vindicated in the end of it all. All the false rumors, the false accusation, the hard speeches of the unsaved and unbelievers that they have created against God will be proven false in the end of it all. Let me read you some of what they have said. Jude chapter 1 verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Jude 1.10 says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Jude one, fifteen says to so execute judgment upon all, and to convince all of the, un- of the ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In verse sixteen, these are murmurers, complainers, walkers after their uh, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Again in Jude, verse 18, how that they told you, you sh- there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Boy, oh boy if that doesn't describe what we got going today in Christian rock music. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. He's, they're all speaking about the same people. They're presumptuous, are they? Self-will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. You heard that again, didn't you? Second Peter 2 Peter 2.12 says, but these are natural, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption verse 14 of second chapter of second peter having eyes full of adultery they cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and as and heart they have exercised with covetous practices cursed children verse 18 through 19 for when they speak great swelling words of vanity they allure through the lusts of the flesh Through much wantonness, those that have clean escaped from them who live in error. Over and over in the Bible, as you've just heard some of it, it talks about men gathering against God and speaking against Him. There are men on the Internet that have dedicated themselves to speaking against Christianity and against creation and want to make you out to be some sort of a duped fool if you believe in creation or you believe it all in a God. And they've been doing that since they fell away. Oh, after the seven years of the tribulation where the righteous are being driven and murdered and beheaded and shamed and scorned and mocked and laughed at, God will vindicate his word at the end of the tribulation period. Oh, for a season, for a season, It will look like God has forsaken the righteous and is not who he says he is. There will be a space of time that evil will triumph over good. The evil will cry out in laughter, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where are all those promises of protection? Where is God now? They will quote the Bible as they behead the Christians one at a time, laughing, where is your God now that says that he'll hear the cry of the righteous as they behead them? And that's what the tribulation period, especially the last half of the trib, is going to consist of. Oh, All that, that group of people that makes it through the tribulation period, it's going to be the most intense persecution against Christianity historically. Oh, throughout the ages and time, there were pockets of evil where it thrived, and there's been the Inquisition of the 16th century, the Catholic Church, and some of the Dark Ages where the Anabaptists, Waldensians, and others were persecuted and killed and driven. It's estimated by the book called The Trail of Blood that some 50 million Bible believers have been killed through the ages by persecution through the dark ages. The millennium, the kingdom of God to come, this thousand-year period that it mentions six times, which we read, will answer once and for all, all the questions. The questions will be settled. All the mockings will be answered, and all the laughing of the ungodly will stop during the kingdom of God. It starts out by getting Satan out of the way. The first three verses of chapter 20. The question is answered, would man be evil without the devil? Some of you saw a TV program called The Laugh-In. How many remember that? Shame on you. The Laugh-In. They used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. How many remember that? Say, confess your sin. It used to be bumper stickers. The devil made me do it. T-shirts. The devil made me do it. Went all over. They laughed and mocked. The devil made me do it. How much is on his plate of blame, really? The works-based religionist that says you're saved by your works argues that man is basically good if put or placed in the right environment. That is the essence of liberalism. And I hate to say this, but in large part, the homeschool movement. Oh, I want to look around for that. One of the things when I began to hear 20 years ago about you had you should homeschool your kid, homeschool your kid, homeschool your kid, what I was hearing, and I went to the conferences. Man, I went to them. I went to a conference in Indianapolis that had 250 preachers only, and they talked for one whole week up there about homeschooling and the future and what was going to happen and, you know, all that. They thought Christianity was going to go with homeschooling and the public school system and what was going with the the Christian school movement. Because what happened is in the 60s, the Christian school movement came out of the public school movement because they started teaching evolution. They started teaching there was no God, and the teaching was wrong. So Christians rightfully pulled their children out and put them into groups in, in Christian schools. Well, those kids in Christian schools, they found, they came out. They had some of the worst rebels in public school, came out of Christian schools. They said it must be the Christian school. That system must be wrong. We know the public school system's wrong. We know now that the Christian school system must be wrong because they get around other bad kids. If we take our little darlings and we isolate them from all your bad kids, you get where it's going? If we take your darlings and we isolate them from all your bad kids, my darlings will will turn to Jesus. trouble is you're denying a very basic biblical doctrine, and that is that we have the evil nature, that the old man dwells in us, he was birthed in us, and you don't have to teach somebody about doing evil, you don't have to teach somebody to lie, you don't have to be influenced to steal, you don't have to be influenced to hate, to have malignity, to have cursing, you don't have to have... You can be on an island by yourself and be evil. Why? Because by nature, you're evil. And basically, the the, the religionist, the the, the liberal says, uh, you agree with those who believe you can work your way to heaven by saying, if you put somebody in a great and and, and a perfect environment, they're going to turn out good. In other words, if you got A and B, you're going to get C. But brother... Even God didn't succeed on that when he took Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect place with a perfect influence with no bad. And the first time the old devil talked to them, boom, down they went. There's a contest going on right now. There's a contest between good and evil. There's contest. It's real. I have to say for a moment, it's getting time for Christmas. My wife, on the way home, we had a little spat about it already. I did get right before communion, however, on the way to church. I've never been big on over celebrating Christmas. And she's, of course, women generally just want to go absolutely insane on Christmas. And uh, I want to have a little humble, very small, decorating, very small, small decorating. My brother, I moved out at five acres. My brother moved beside me. And, you know, at first I have a fence, a big, long fence. I put a, she wanted to put a few lights out there. And after, after being on me a little bit, we put a few lights up. I noticed my brother had a few more lights than I did. I said to my wife, buy more lights. <laughs> so we went out before Christmas. We put more lights on. And it says, buy a star. Buy a this, buy a that. On my dock, I build a cross with a red cross in it, with lights going down like a tree out of my dock. I heard through the grapevine of Nicole that. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate this information. That my brother and I are in a full-blown contest of who can out-decorate the other. And Nicole told me last year she came in church without even being asked, you won. You got us. You got us on the gate. Man is basically not good. We don't need uh what, what is going to prove, the millennial period is going to prove the liberals as wrong. There's some answers going to be answered that have been asked since the beginning of time till even tonight that are still not settled completely, which will be completely settled by that thousand-year period, that God is going to settle those, not just settle the questions with you and me, not just settle the questions with the unbelievers. He's going to settle them with the angels. He's going to settle them with every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth. And brother, everybody by the end of that millennial period is going to be on the same page with God or be in the lake of fire. There are going to be two places. There will be some answers. Satan has angels that are... One thing I learned about the first three verses in chapter 20 is Satan has an angel that's stronger than he is. For well, the Bible says the angel grabbed Satan and he bound him. Now, wait a minute. You don't bound him. You don't go up to somebody bigger and badder than you and bind him. Amen? So Satan, maybe he thinks he's the greatest, biggest, most beautiful, the author of music and all this other stuff. And But he gets this other angel that God made, and God's taking that other angel and going to grab him and pile drive him. Like Hulk Hogan. It would be like Hulk Hogan wrestling moon. Satan is not going to stand a chance against this angel. Satan is not all powerful. He's not all present. Satan cannot get away from God or hide from him either. None of Satan's followers can break the seal. The Bible says that this angel seals him a thousand years. I thought about that. We'll just break the seal. I used to work on the railroad. We ran from Elkhart, Indiana to Blue Island, Chicago. And we would be going through Blackstone Ranger territory. The old Blackstone Rangers would jump on our train, big hole us. That means turn all the brakes on the whole mile and a half of train at one time. They'd big hole us. There would be a federal seal. Those boxcars carried uh, engines, be full of motors, all ready to start up. I mean, hook them up, start them, you know what I mean? And they'd be the whole boxcar full of brand new motors from Detroit, going to Chicago, going out west or wherever they were going to be. And, I mean, there was very, very valuable cargo in those trains that we were on. And they would big hole us where they wanted to stop us. They would back a pickup truck to one of them them big old cars. And there was a federal seal. If you break that seal, it is a felony. They'd break that seal, open the doors, take four, five, six engines, however many you can get in the back of a pickup truck, and they'd take off. I'd have to go back there, close the doors, hook the thing back together. I couldn't redo the seal. But the angel that seals Satan, ain't nobody going to break his seal. I don't see here that anybody has the authority or the power to break the seal. This great angel does six things in these three verses. First of all, he lays hold on Satan. Secondly, he binds him. Thirdly, he casts him into this abyss or bottomless pit or dark place. He shuts him up. He seals him. And someday, sixthly, he will lose him. This is the first mention, as I mentioned to you before, of the thousand-year period, the coming kingdom, is mentioned many, many times throughout the Old Testament, but the exactness is duplicated nowhere but the twentieth chapter of Revelation. The liberal, the literal, I should say the literal, normal, natural sense of interpretive language in the Bible is the only way that you and I can have repeatedly interpreted doctrines that are that are the same that go from from nation to nation people to people and age to age. The people in the first, second, third century that I've read agree with what I'm preaching tonight. How is that? Because they took the Bible in its normal, natural, se- literal sense. I hope you decide right up front that you're going to interpret the Bible in its normal, natural, and literal sense. Just like you interpret uh, an instruction manual. Just like you interpret a magazine that you read. Just like you interpret a newspaper. Just like you interpret everything else you read. But when people get to the Bible, all of a sudden they go, they they get, ooh, I wonder what the second meaning or the deeper meaning of this is. God is not trying to hide but to show. Allegorical symbolic interpretation or encrypted methods cannot have repeatability. Those people that that interpret the Bible that way, and by the way, it's entertaining reading. I've read numbers of them, but i got to tell you that no two of them agree with each other, because their interpretation of symbolism has no guided rules, and because there's no guided rules, they end up with all kinds of varied And literally a thousand different ways something can be taken. So what does that eventually do? It takes the credibility away from the Bible. Oh, I've heard unsaved people say, you know, you can read the same, uh, ten people read the same passage of the Bible get a different meaning. That is not so. That is just not so. If you're born of above, from above, and you have the Holy Spirit of God, and I can go to ten different nations and meet people of like precious faith, and we can agree one thing right after the other thing right after the other thing on these passages. Exactly the same. I've I've had it happen. It's amazing. Actually, it's amazing. Different culture. Different language. Different country. Different background. And we agree. This is what the Bible says. Why? Because the literal, natural, normal sense of interpretation creates a repeatability that only it creates. These cults, cart bombs, cults take the Bible allegorically. They don't take it literally. If they took it literally, they wouldn't believe what they believe. They'd have to denounce the cult. They'd have to denounce what they have been. The allegorical interpretation opens a Pandora's box of possibilities with none agreeing with each other. So if 50% of all prophecies have been fulfilled literally and in its normal sense, then why wouldn't the other 50% be fulfilled literally and in its normal sense? The first three verses speak right off the bat. Here's what we're going to do with Satan. Verses 4 through 6 talk about the hope of the resurrection. And I saw the thrones and sat upon them, and judgment was given them, and I saw the souls in them that were beheaded. For the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Resurrection, in verse 4, is of the tribulation saints. That group, that special group who has suffered like no generation before them, there's been persecution, but nothing like what the, what the evil one, what the devil, what the beast, the false prophet, are going to do to these poor souls in the tribulation period. They've suffered, but they get resurrected at the end of the tribulation with a special reward. I think of chapter 7, verse 14 through 17, and I say, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. A special group of people that were were martyred during the tribulation people. The Bible says in verse 16 of chapter 7, And they hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither the sun light upon them, light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, glory to God, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Verse 4 talks about that special group who, who incur the very wrath, the very breath of Satan himself upon God's people. God says, I'm going to give you a special reward, a special place. There are different groups of people that dwell with Christ throughout eternity. I think the group from Adam to Abraham, the pre-Israel group, is one group. A group made up from Abraham to the church, the Israel or Jehovah's wife group. And then you have the church, which is, I believe, considered by the Bible, the bride of Christ, is another special group. You have here in verse 4, the tribulation saints, and in chapter 7, as I just read from 14 to 17, another group that were martyred during the tribulation period as having a special place with Christ. And then you have the millennial saints uh, that go into the millennium that will be made up of another group that dwells with Christ. These make up all believers that have believed on Christ from Adam, looking forward to that time when Christ would come to the last believer looking back at the end of the millennium that's saved, looking back on Christ like we look back on him who saved us by his blood Shed upon Calvary, resurrected the third day. All of those who have trusted in the Messiah that was to come, the Messiah who has come, are God's children. But they have different functions, just like there's, man, God is a God of right. Look at us here tonight. I mean, none of, no, no two of us look alike. How I do mean, we know? I know two of us wear the same kind of clothes. No two of us like the same things. About no two of us like the same color. I mean, it's amazing. The variety you have. You think God's going to, and when the resurrection comes and he puts his people to God, he's not going to cancel all that out. The variety is who God is. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, when I dove and saw what I saw under the sea for all those years, I used to just sit there above a coral head and just praise God and have me a spell at the God I worship. This was a little look at the future why the colors that are the colors that God can put together we have an artist in our midst here tonight the colors that God can put together i haven't seen artists successfully do i mean he can put oranges and reds and hues of iridescent blue and black and and if i wore those colors to church you'd look at me and say god eh. but when god puts it out there in the fish you go down there and you go wow beautiful. That's what amazes me, how he does that. There are different groups. Let me give you a quote from uh, Walford in page uh, 297 in his book, The Book of Revelation. By the way, one of the best books and commentary-wise on the whole book of Revelation is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ by Walford. Let me give you a quote. He said, The tribulation saints are also declared to reign with Christ a thousand years. This has troubled some who have considered the church as properly reigning with Christ, which implies the saints of other ages will be subject of the kingdom. It should be evident from this passage that others will share spaces or places of prominent rule with the church as the body of Christ in the millennium kingdom, as also revealed in verse 6 on page 299 he says, If the church is afforded the special place of being the bride of Christ and reigning in this sense, other resurrected people will also reign and enjoy privileges and rewards. They will apparently not only share in the political aspects of the kingdom, but also in the religious life. For they are declared to be the priests of God and of Christ, a designation of a privilege rank similar to that which the church enjoys in this present age under Christ our High priests. So we see Satan dealt with in the first three verses. We see the tribulation saints told that they will be given a special place near him where he will feed them and he will lead them to living waters. In verse five and six, we see the subject of the first resurrection. The first resurrection. But the rest of the dead lived not again in a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that part in the first resurrection As such the second death had no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It is clear that the first resurrection cannot be a reference to order, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, but it is a kind of resurrection. Now digest that. When the Bible says this is the first resurrection, it is not saying first in order like 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th. It is saying first in kind. Because if you do not take part in the first resurrection, you're not going to be with Christ and with God. Only those who partake in the first resurrection will be spared from the second death. What is the second death? You know what the second death is. 14th and 15th verse of this chapter. (laughs) Be cast in the lake of fire, which is the second death. So those who have parted in the first resurrection, which is a kind of resurrection, not an order of resurrection. Don't So many people through the years have been confused about that. It is just what God calls the resurrection of his people that are birthed through Christ, the first resurrection. And so it is clear the first resurrection cannot be referenced to the order or sequence of resurrection, but a kind of resurrection. Um, the first resurrection guarantees that you're going to have eternal life and these different groups, if I may say, are part of the first resurrection. The first stage of this resurrection happened when Christ died and was resurrected. There are stages to the first resurrection. It's not just one resurrection. You may read in the Old Testament. You may read the 12th chapter of Daniel. You may read there in the 12th chapter, in the first second verse, the two resurrections: resurrection righteous, resurrection of those uh, of of the ungodly or evil. And you may say, well, there's just two resurrections. No, there are generally two resurrections, but this first resurrection is going to have stages to it. In other words, there's going to be a sequence of stages. I mean, not sequence. Forget that word, sequence. That's a bad word. But there'll be different resurrections incorporated and in the first resurrection. That's what I want to say. Okay, the first stage. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 to 53. The graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared in many. Some believe this was this re, this resurrection was the emptying of the paradise side of Hades. Now, you heard of the, the uh, 16th chapter of Luke, where, where Jesus talks about the rich man. Lazarus, and he talks about being in two parts. You know, the rich man's on one part. There's a great gulf affixed, and there's a paradise part where Abraham, that's an old, going way back, 2100 B.C., he's on that side. The rich man is in torment, in flame, thirsty, can't get relief. Has memories of those who haven't died. Somehow he knows they haven't died yet, and all, all kinds of other things. He has his senses. He has his thought. He has his memory. There's 14 different things mentioned there that he has. That in total is Hades, the whole thing. There's a paradise side of Hades where Abraham was, and there's a suffering side of Hades where the rich man is tonight, by the way. When Christ was resurrected, it seemed, when Christ died, it seems to be there was a, if I may say, feast of the first fruits, resurrection. In the feast of the first fruits, uh, you would gather that first fruits, and you would go to the you would go to the temple, and you would take a handful of grain, and you would offer it as a token in thanksgiving for God on the first harvest, as a farmer. Now, that's foreign to you and I, but that wasn't foreign to them at all. They would have the first fruits, the first gathering, and they would take they were to take the feast of the first fruit. They would take that handful, and they were to give it. It's interesting, when Christ was resurrected, when Christ died and eventually was resurrected the third day, there was a, as it were, a, 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 a token resurrection, very likely, some believe, it was when God with him, Christ with him, took everybody from Adam all the way to, to himself up with him and emptied paradise out. I'm not going any further in that. You can know more about that. If you want to study it, you can. That's what I believe the first, one of the first uh, uh, stages of the resurrection, where the second stage of the resurrection is the rapture. That's coming. So Christ has been resurrected, and he took with him, I believe, the Old Testament saints and, res- and emptied out that whole section of paradise and brought, brought it with him. And so the second stage is what? What we're looking for. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They which are alive and remain should be caught up uh, to meet the Lord in the clouds. Uh, uh, oh, okay. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so that resurrected, resurrection, I'm looking forward to. I may not die. You know Christ could come tonight. The trumpet may sound tonight before my voice hits the back door there. Boom, At the twinkling of an eye, the smallest measurable amount of time. Boom! It could be over, and we're we're ascending with Christ. The tribulation period shortly after that will begin, and that seven awful years where, where that think about it. Every born again believer for a few minutes will be taken out of this world. Where is the Holy Spirit dwell today? Where is he? He's in you. So, in this room represents collectively a lot of the Holy Spirit. When we're raptured out, it makes sense that we're raptured out before Satan is finally allowed to have total freedom because we, as the salt of the earth, hold him back. Does that make sense to you? So we, because we have the Holy Spirit or part of God in us, we, as by nature, hold evil back. We hinder it like salt preserves meat. And so what God does in the rapture, he takes every born-again believer out and for a few moments, there's not one born again believer on this old earth, and Saint every child on earth is Satan's. Every child, and he is allowed to have freedom. The Holy Spirit's ministry, according to Second Thessalonians chapter two, of restraining evil is re, is reduced, is pulled back. Oh, people are saved. He still convicts men of righteousness and sin, and of just. People get saved, and there's so many saved during the tribulation period, the Bible says they'll be as the sand of the sea, as you read. But not right right away. The first person gets saved, second person gets saved, third person gets saved after the rapture. But what kind of Christians are they? Brand new. How much of the Bible do they know? They don't even know where Genesis is. They don't know where Exodus is. They can't pronounce Deuteronomy, and they think Job is Job. I mean, they're baby. And do they have any elder Christians to go to and ask for help? They got nobody to go to. They're the oldest Christian around, and they got saved five minutes ago. And they know enough to go to the Bible, and they know enough to start reading it. And it won't be long before the Holy Spirit and the Word of God helps them mature. But they're, all they're really going to know is they claim Jesus, and they believe he's the Savior. And the Satan is going to slaughter them going to restrict them from buying or selling because they won't worship him and say he's God by that mark on the back of their hand and on their forehead. And that's what that mark's about. It's not about your credit card. It's about, I believe that this man is God. If I believe that, I take his mark on the back of my hand. I take that mark on his forehead. And that's why the Bible says everyone that ever takes a mark of the beast cannot be saved. In fact, it says their names were never written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. The only group I know of that their names were not written down in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. That is a special group of folks. So we have the resurrection as a first fruits, stage one at Christ. We have stage two at the rapture. We have stage three at the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ himself comes back. There is really no mention, as far as I know, of a resurrection at the end of the millennium. There's been argued that there must be a resurrection at the end of the millennium of those that are saved that grew up in the millennium that need to have a body like Christ. And I don't doubt that there is a resurrection. Just because it's not mentioned doesn't mean there isn't one. But as far as we know, there's just three stages that we know of, of the first resurrection. I ask you tonight, are you going to be part of the first resurrection? Oh, I wouldn't want to leave here without knowing for sure I'm part of the first resurrection. My, oh my, oh my. All these stages are the first resurrection and have eternal life and are not under the power of the second death. I wouldn't want to go out of here tonight. I wouldn't want to live another day without knowing I'm part of the first resurrection by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Are you sure of it? And you go to the Bible and say, look, I have relying. I'm leaning on this verse here. I believe it. All others who miss the first resurrection stand at the end of the millennial period at the great white throne judgment, which starts, I believe, in verse 11 of the same chapter. And they will answer for their sins and the works they've done in their body, and they'll eventually be cast in the lake of fire to pay for them. Why does God cast people into hell? Let me give you a reason. Number one, Simply punitive. I hope you understand what the word punitive means. It's just punishment. It's punishment for rejecting Christ in the big picture. It's punishment for looking at the stars and saying there's no God, and looking at the creation of the fish and saying there's no God, and looking at the listening to the birds sing and saying there's no God, and looking at this earth and the planets and saying there's no God, and substituting anything but God in His place. Basically, lying and denying. God Himself. And for that, they will be punitively punished. But there's another reason why people are cast into hell. Because they're unchangeable. They're unchangeable. Look in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 10. I know I'm going long tonight, but that's because my wife said to do it. I told her I could preach this in two sermons or I can preach it in one. And she says, oh, don't break the continuity up. Go ahead. They won't care. So on your way out, you verbalize to them, I'm missing the football game that I really wanted to watch. Verse 10 says, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. The idea being, if God allowed the wicked to go into heaven and gave them, and by what what does the millennium prove by that? That you can take an unregenerate person and put them in a beautiful situation. I mean, favorable in every way to be saved. Favorable in every way to trust Christ. And they'll say, that ain't right. This ain't what I want. And they'll begin to get critical. And and they will deal, look at that, they'll deal unjustly in the land of uprightness. That's exactly what happens in this 1,000-year period. You know the nature of God, don't you? The Bible says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know the nature of God. You know that He gave His only begotten Son. What else could He have done? What more could He do than to give His only begotten Son? When Jesus was being beaten and He was taken upon the sins of the world, God the Father didn't intervene. He didn't stop it. It had to be done for you and I to be able to stand with him someday and actually be honestly righteous. And what is happening is, as the gospel is presented throughout the world and throughout the ages, a group of people who have a heart for God, who who, who love truth and want truth, when they hear it, they say, I want it, they choose Jesus. There seems to be another group no matter what you did for them, no matter how you dressed it up, no matter how you presented it, they don't like righteousness. And they don't want it. And they are hardened in that attitude to the place where they're not changeable. They're not savable. And God in his sovereignty sees that. And knows the heart of man. We don't know our heart; our heart desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God knows the heart of man. And though He has a heart for them and compels them, and it says, "Come unto Me, all that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest." Come to the waters and drink. Though He invites them and has invited them through the centuries, through the sun and the moon and the stars, He screams and preaches, "I am here! I am here!" But they say no. It evolved from an amoeba. I watched a show the other night on PBS, and I just had to turn it off. I just could not believe that anybody with any kind of intelligence would be saying what that guy was saying. He was talking about the forming of rocks and and, their, and how it was so hot and everything and how the earth and the plant. And I, they were, assu- I said to my wife, assumption, 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 assumption. The whole thing was assumption, assumption, no, no proof. No evidence. Assumption, 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 assumption. Now, if, I, if people came to you with that, you'd say, get out of here. But that's believed by the majority. And they think, we're crazy. If these souls that are cast into to hell would have repented, God would have saved them. But they did not, and maybe even deeper than that, would not under any circumstances, and consequently they must be isolated and encapsulated in a place that God calls the lake of fire to preserve the future, new heaven and new earth. Now quickly, quickly, those are the vain words of a preacher quickly. Verse 7, when a thousand years expired, Satan should be loosed from his prison. There's four reasons for loosing Satan. Number one, to demonstrate that man under perfect conditions will choose sin if given the chance to without being born again. And that's why you can homeschool, you can Christian school, or you can public school, but if a, if a person doesn't get born from heaven you can't stop him from doing evil. Secondly, the power of the fore, the millennial period is to demonstrate the power of the foreknowledge of God in predicting and fulfilling prophecy exactly the way he predicts it. Only God of all books called holy out there. The Bible is the only one with a fulfilled prophecy in any measure, in any comparison. This is the only book It's got the prophecy like this book has, and then it's fulfilled, and has been fulfilled over half of it. No other book has anything like that, and they don't contest it. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, because only God who knew those things ahead of time can say, this is going to happen, and it happens the way. I can't even tell you whether for sure I'm going to be over to first watch at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I can tell you I want to be. But really, when you look at me, chief, you can't say, Bill, I will guarantee you that I will show up at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I may be going down to Chicanes looking at you. Thirdly, the millennial period is to demonstrate the incurable wickedness of Satan and the incurable wickedness of unregenerate man. And lastly, the thousand-year period is there to justify the eternal nature of the punishment in hell by showing the unchanged nature of man in a perfect environment. The millennial period is an absolute, ideal, growing hothouse for spiritual life. Jesus Christ is in Jerusalem. Righteousness rules as the waters cover the sea. It's a hothouse. It's perfect. And yet, Satan is loose for a little season. And what happens? The Bible says he gathers an innumerable group of people as the sand of the sea and they, he convinces them that Jesus is bad, God is bad, and let's go to Jerusalem and take over this thing and do the way we want it to. We want, we think it ought to be done. And he gathers them up, and they follow him, and they surround Jerusalem. But praise God, the Father don't mess with them this time. As Sodom and Gomorrah was instantly destroyed from heaven, so the Bible says he sends fire from heaven and devours them. It's over. But then he grabs Satan. Ooh, that angel who cast him, that angel who, who I, I can see Satan going like, looking over his back. Where's that angel at? Where's that angel at? And that angel shows back up, and he grabs old Satan with the power he's got to move around, the power he's got to do. He cannot get away from God's angel, and he grabs old Satan, and I think with some sort of, of satisfaction surely, All Every saint of God and every person that's been damaged by the devil has some sort of satisfaction to see him cast into the lake of fire where the beast is and the false prophet are. And let me end with this tonight. The strongest language possible in the Greek language is used in verse 10. The strongest language possible. Look at it, verse 11. Verse 10, verse 10. And verse 11 in chapter 14. But verse 10 in chapter 20, The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Folks, I've looked in I've looked in the Greek folks that know it much better than I do, and they said there, can have, there could have been no clearer, no more specificity in a language than was put right there. Hell is a place of conscious, Torment day and night. It is not a place as Job wouldn't say of annihilation. It is, and so many liberals deny that it even exists. That a loving God would ever do it. All I can tell you is the Bible says it's so. The Bible that tells me Jesus is so tells me hell is so. The 14th chapter and the ninth verse of Revelation. The last part there says the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image. Folks, there could be no stronger, clearer, more precise language given than what was given in those verses. You can deny it. You can get mad at it. But you are going to get run over by it. To everyone who falls upon Jesus, Jesus breaks us, doesn't he? He breaks us. He breaks our rod of pride. He humbles you. He breaks the dominance of sin. If you fall on Jesus tonight, he'll break you. But whoever he falls on, the Bible says, will be crushed to powder. I would rather be judged and judge my sin on this side and say, Jesus, I want you to take my sin, I want you to take my place, and I would to stand before him at the great white throne and have to answer for my sin myself, having rejected the one who died for me. The kingdom of God, lots of things are accomplished by that thousand year, and all those questions about who God is and why he did this, they're answered by that thousand year period. We Christians, You born-again believers, what a future. What a future we have. May God help us to live the way God wants us to and be submissive to Him. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for the patience of these folks to stay a little longer tonight. We pray that the power of God may be upon the teaching of the Bible, that we would, when the devil comes by our house, that we would call him out, we would call upon Jesus Christ, remind him that he is condemned, beaten. We pray, Father, that tonight if there's a Christian in this room, this body of believers who's been messing around with that so great salvation that we've been given in Hebrews chapter 6, that they would not continue in that vein they would get serious with God about serving Him, being in His local body of believers, doing a ministry that reaches out to the lost in some way, edifies the saints. God help us not to waste these precious moments we have. And Lord God, you encourage us by these teachings to live for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. There came a sign